This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I always look forward to our talks, even as the world is burning. Eric Anderson, Editor-in-Chief of Awards Watch, is with us. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for being with us again. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm always love to be here. So we're going to get you guys all up to date with the industry news. Our Nolan Tenant drinking game continues, festivals that are canceled and things like that. We're also going to talk about some of the documentaries that have come out in 2020. It's an awesome year in that sense, COVID be damned. And what's up with the Smiths and the Spears? Is lockdown getting to just everyone? We discuss Will and Jada Smith discussing Jada's possible affair at their red table and Britney Spears fans that are trying to set her free. So much to discuss, Eric. I take it you haven't seen Tenet this weekend. You know, my screening link must have gotten lost in the email because I have not seen it yet. It's so strange. Oh, shucks. <laughs> no, but really, what, what's going on now? There's been like my head spinning from every other day. There's been new news on this. What's, where are we on Chris Nolan's Tenant? There's actually a lot to talk about with Tenant right now because it got pulled from the Warner Brothers schedule indefinitely, quote unquote. But then it also looks like they might want to just push it off two more weeks and I think what's happening with it is it, it's incredibly frustrating. And there is an arrogance and an ignorance about it that is making it frustrating. They've created this dynamic that Tenet is essentially the only movie that can save movies and movie theaters. And, and that's the narrative that's kind of being pushed, not just by Warner Brothers, but by fans and kind of everybody around that and theater owners and at theater owners and Nolan himself. And I just, I find it really, I guess kind of uncomfortable. It makes me frustrated because there is no savior. This isn't a Superman situation. It's much bigger than any individual movie, but it's like the conversation is only about tenant and all of the other hundreds of movies that have had to go on hold or go on, on video on demand. It's like they don't even exist. And I don't know if you saw yesterday, but there was an email sent to some journalists with, from Warner Brothers lamenting how journalists have been talking about Tenet and its release and that journalists should be kinder to what is oh, wow. happening with Tenet. Oh, it was insane. And it includes in this release that these comments are off the record, which that's not how off the record works. So there was uh, one journalist that just went boom and posted everything. And it was really kind of damning. And what was their point that, that one shouldn't say, shouldn't make fun of the fact that it's, they're trying yes. to get, I mean. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was the, the crux of it was that the media <laughs> the media being whatever the conglomerate version of it that you use when you use the phrase the media as a pejorative uh, just hasn't been kind enough to 
the movie's changing release and insistence on being released. It's, well, we're so sorry that our sympathies don't lie with the $200 million movie. I know. <laughs> that is getting it's, publicity every other day compared yeah. to a lot of other independent movies that must... It, it was wild. Included in that was, you know, it's really uh, to, you know, to the benefit of film writers and journalists, you know, to be more sympathetic to this. And I was just like, oh, it was just, everything about it was so cringy. It was awful. But what about the discussions going on now that it, we have to sort of live with the new normal and maybe premiering it internationally or in areas of the U.S. with open theaters would be the way to go. Is this a serious discussion? Do you think Nolan would premiere it outside of L.A. and New York? I think it's possible, and it's not like it's a, a unique situation because we've seen blockbuster movies get sometimes one in two week uh, releases ahead of the U.S. before. The problem with it, and I know that it has to be the the main issue for Nolan and for Warner Brothers, is just the worry about uh, leaks. I yeah, think piracy. I think that's I think that's the biggest concern. But the fanboys, the U.S. fanboys, are going to be so pissed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if if you want to ask me how much I care about U.S. fanboys, <laughs> that's going to be a super short discussion. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till they're pissed at you. You know, well, no, that's happened already before. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not terribly worried about them. I mean, they, they felt like they won like some actual fight with the Snyder cut thing. So you know. No, I mean, whatever. I'm really looking forward to Ten. I really want to see Tenant. That's not an issue. I think it looks really interesting, and I'm a, a Nolan fan. It's not bad. It's, it's just becoming a ridiculous discussion at this point. It, it is, and I'm a fan as well, and I'm looking forward to it too, but we have entered just this phase where I, I don't know how the movie can possibly live up to what everybody wants it to be and needs it to be. And that's that's been one of the biggest problems, I think, with the management of how how it's gone. If they had simply just not insisted on uh, its... July release and then the August release and said, you know what, we just need to do the responsible thing like many other studios did. Look at what at Universal did with the Fast and Furious movie. Mm-hmm. They pulled it back in March for a full year because it just wasn't, it didn't make any sense. And it was actually going to create bad press. And that's what's happening. Warner Brothers created the bad press that they're getting because of this. And all they really needed to do, because this isn't a, a story or a movie that is like time dependent, they could have they could have just pulled it and been safe. And everybody would have respected that. They would have wanted to see it, but they would have respected it. And then at that point, we wouldn't be having all this discussion. And when we actually get to see the movie, all of this is going to be behind it, this baggage. So what's your what's your feeling now? Do you think it'll be it'll premiere in somewhere somewhere else outside of the US in September or I was sort of hearing rumblings about potentially at Venice which kind of blows my mind as an yeah as an idea just in general but I I feel like it's not going to happen like I said it's happened before that you know blockbusters have gotten some 
releases uh, ahead of the US. And that's kind of normal. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen here. Well, talking about other things that are canceled some in major movie news is the festival Telluride is canceled and it's not even doing a digital version, which I understand that Toronto is. Well, even though I knew it was coming, uh, I'm, I'm crushed about Telluride. I went last year for the first time and I had been wanting to go for so, so many years and it was wonderful. It was probably the best festival experience I've, I've had. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really short but it's so intimate and, and focused and concentrated. And those are the very reasons that it needed to be canceled. You know, you have this tiny little town who's done extremely well uh, with keeping their cases down because they have a small isolated population. And, you know, you're going to try and bring in thousands of people from all you Californians coming in there. I'm telling you, especially Southern California, mm. you damn bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the bummer. But because that's that's where we also get the sort of first real taste of what festival season. Yeah, this um, the lack of festivals this year is going to be, I mean, just on a, on a personal level is going to be extremely damaging to to me. Um, I generally have people at all festivals. I had everybody, I had plans for every single festival and having somebody there this year, all, I mean, everything. And obviously that's not going to happen. And that, that's, that's my bread and butter to be able to earn revenue through the Oscar season. And, and there's, there's just nothing there. That's oh, tough. That's yeah. tough. And I think it applies to many of us. In, in... Exactly. Um, you were mentioning Venice. Do you th- are feeling that it's going to be a very local affair that not many, especially, I mean, no one stateside was going to be heading over there in September and, and things like that. What are you hearing? I, I'm I'm still confused just about the idea of how almost any festival will continue but I do think that uh, for something like Venice, that, that's that's how you would have to do it, and you know, just forget the U.S. and <laughs> almost anybody else. No one is going to be sending talent around on you know in, in this in this environment and with all the risks and all the insurance coming in. I I have I just don't see who would who would head over there from outside. I mean, maybe and, from places in Europe, perhaps, but... but um... yeah. And to that point, what exactly are we going to see premiere at festivals like this? Because the, the lack of that, the reduced uh, amount of films, we're not going to see these massive, glitzy world premieres that we've seen in the past. It's just not going to happen. Switching gears in that sense, I have to say that there's a lot of non-glitzy but incredibly good documentaries that have been coming out this year. And I have this feeling that it's a particularly good year. Maybe it's because of these circumstances and we feel like, or I feel like I've wanted to see stuff like this, but it's going to be a tough Oscar race in the documentary field is my opinion. How about you? Yeah, I I I think it will be as well. It's a there's a a great selection of movies, and I think like we've seen in the past, and like we're going to see this year, 
Netflix is going to be able to do extremely well in in that category. <laughs> they, they have a lot. Oh my uh, God, all of the stuff I wrote down here to talk about, it's like, is there anything here that's not Netflix? It was like 90% Netflix. It, it is. I, you know, I just did the majority of my Oscar predictions for July and almost every category is just jammed full of Netflix films. And that's just how it's, that's how it's going to be. That's what's completed. That is what is going to be able to take advantage of the change rules for uh, eligibility. So it's, you know, every year is already its own animal. So this this year just happens to be extremely advantageous for a streamer. Right. Well, tell me some of your favorites, um, and I'll tell you some of mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I really loved the the Beastie Boys doc on oh, Apple. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Crip Camp, I think, is a really special piece of filmmaking. Uh, I'm looking forward to to uh, oh my god, is it Boys Town? No, Boys State. Boys State. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a couple of weeks. What's that? And, I don't know about that one. Well, I just, yeah. Let's just let people look it up and 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 see. It was okay. It was a, a, a Sundance doc as well. The the John Lewis Good Trouble. I mean that one goodness. I really recommend. I mean, it, first of all, it was an amazingly interesting documentary that I happened to see just ten days before he passed away. Congressman and um, civil rights activist, the incredible John Lewis, and that documentary called Good Trouble is definitely worth seeing and even more emotional now, of course, that he just passed away. But that's an excellent watch. It is. Disclosure on Netflix was was fantastic. I almost wish that it had been a multi-part series. Me too. There's so much more one could have seen. I could have watched hours of that. I really like Disclosure. Yeah, I did too. And I really liked another Netflix documentary called Mucho Mucho Amor about the an icon, Walter Mercado, who was an astrologer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and, and an icon on, on television. It, it's just a really fascinating, lovely little documentary. Yeah, I, I have not watched it yet, but I have just loved the response to it. And, and I know how much he meant to so many uh, Latinx people growing up, and that was just something that you know their their mother or grandmother had on television every day, and and it's just yeah. So you just love to see those kind of yeah. things. And it's a there's a wonderful scene where Lynn Manuel Miranda just breaks down getting to meet Walter Mercado. I I have seen that that scene, and I love it. And I think it's kind of emblematic of of the the impact of somebody like that. There's a couple of, I really thought the Epstein documentary, Filthy Rich, it, it's a multi-part um, documentary series as opposed to the ones we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Just in terms of what's going on now and the trial with Ghislaine Maxwell and all this, um, it, it's worth seeing. But it, it's a tough one to watch because it's, uh, it's just infuriating and, and really, really awful to see. But... What they do in this documentary is they really let the girls, the women that he abused, and, and um, talk and tell their side of the story. That's good because that's something I have certainly put on the way, way, way back burner. And it's, yeah, I don't even know how to approach certain things like that. And I'm also not really 
big fan of true crime documentary stuff. Not me I, neither, no. I mean, the fact that we are finally seeing some justice coming now that, you know, to this trial, so it makes it more interesting in that sense, is the fact that the, it's the women who are interviewed throughout and they really get to tell their side of the story. That's good. That's good, at least. Uh, one of the another documentary that I have on the back burner, which I really should see and want to see, um, but I have to brace myself because I think it's so emotionally tough. That's Welcome to Chechnya. Have you seen that? Oh my God! Yeah, it's it's a tough it was, one, right? It it really was, and it's it. I I feel very guilty, and I feel really bad because you know I would I got a lot of PR requests to to watch and review and and i i couldn't i couldn't do it it was it was so it, it was too difficult and i did eventually watch it once it premiered on hbo and it is harrowing mm -hmm. it is you know every time i think about any problems and troubles that i had growing up gay in a very homophobic place i it will never come to the experiences of 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 what these people have and and still are are going through it is so brutal it's about i mean clearly some of the bravest people on this planet not only people that are willing to come out as lgbtq in one of the most homophobic places in the world, but it's about the people that are trying to save them and get them out of, out of the country, out of Chechnya to something just even slightly safer, even Moscow mm -hmm. by comparison. And so it's, it's the, they have to go through these, you know, safe houses, which they're only at for a couple of days with false passports and there's just so much tension and suspense uh, if they're going to make it through. And I, that is something again with, with a documentary and it is sort of in like a true crime element of it. I'm, I'm really cautious about stuff that I watch that over dramatizes or is too exploitative of the subject that they're, talking about i mean there there are scenes in in the dock where you know somebody's trying to get through an airport and it's like their their passport is being looked at and you're watching it as a viewer and you're like are they going to get caught and what's happening and it's it's a really fine line for me between being an honest representation and a an exploitative of the situation so i i'm really cautious about that and how i watch documentaries like this but did but, this one work mm -hmm. yeah i do think i do think it did and they also the filmmakers also had to go through great lengths because they show these people uh but they digitally manipulate their faces and it's i've never really quite seen anything like that but it it allows you to kind of i i think in instead of this you know, interview where you've got, you know, a shrouded figure and a digitized voice or a blurred out face. I, I think it would, I think it misrepresents that these are real people when you have to do that, even though I understand the necessity of it. 
So by allowing us to see faces, even if they are digitally altered faces, we are absolutely are pulled in more than I think we would be otherwise. Well, I'm definitely going to watch it. I just need to, you know, it's not like our days are not filled with other horrors. Exactly. <laughs> time, but, but I'm definitely going to. But interesting that you're talking about what works and not works in document. There's a, there's a documentary, documentary called The Painter and the Thief. Have you seen that? I have not, but I know it was a, a big Sundance hit. And there's so much from Sundance coming out right now. It's a Norwegian documentary that date basically follows a painter who one of her, a couple of her beautiful paintings are stolen. And then she finds the thief and then Mm. they become friends and they have all these discussions and she sort of, you know, starts painting him and things like that. And I thought it was really interesting at first, but then it did not work for me because I kept all the time thinking, really? When was the when did the documentary filmmaker get there that day? How when did this conversation happen? Um, it just felt like it was really manipulated, and it may not be, but it did not work for me. They really mm. had the end game in mind, <laughs> how they wanted this relationship to be, and yeah. this did not feel real to me towards the end. So that's funny because some of the best documentaries begin as one thing, and then they end up as something completely different because just by the nature of real life and discovery, right, you know, right. things aren't always what they seem. I think the the movie Three Identical Strangers about the triplets, you know, yes. began as one thing and then was something else. Uh, the, the, oh, I feel so terrible for forgetting the name of this really great doc uh, about the boys that were molested. And that became something completely different mm-hmm. as the investigation continued. And that's, that's, I think, one of the great powers of documentary. When, you, when you're when you somebody that really is has too much control of the narrative, like a Michael Moore or something, you already, like you said, the end game is already in place, and you're essentially now having to tell your story to get to it, which is, that's manipulative. But talk about manipulating us as viewers. I'm going to make a huge segue here. All right. Um, so... Jada Pinkett Smith is, of course, married to Will Smith. Um, oh. here, here's the backstory about this, because everyone's been talking about this, so I really had to get your, your thoughts on what's going on in the celebrity community. So there's been a lot of rumors that have swirled about it, whether the Smiths have an open marriage, whether she's had an affair. She has a very popular show on Facebook called Red Table the red table, I think it's called. And Mm -hmm. suddenly she wrote, she had to get herself to the red table because some healing needs to happen. So what happened was that she and Will Smith sat down to talk about um, what she calls an entanglement with a young singer called August Alsina, um, who had been out in an interview saying that he had had an affair with her and that Will Smith was okay with this, had actually given his blessing, as he said. Talk about this, because a lot of people have been doing, first just talking about it in general, and then doing a lot of media analysis, whether the Smiths, are they playing us? This is a great press move by the Smiths. What are your thoughts? You know, admittedly, I'm not extremely well-versed in the Red Table Talk and this outside of, of just a little bit of what I've read and watched, but it, the, 
the life and the story of, of Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith is pretty fascinating because it has been such a scrutinized relationship for so long between Scientology and uh, that really that they're both gay and they're just together as this, you know, old style classic Hollywood marriage of convenience. There are just so many things about their lives because they're so huge and larger than life that I kind of like that they're doing this or did this because I think when you're a celebrity, you lose the, the control of the narrative of your life and your story so easily and so quickly with you know rumors and tabloids and all of that. And obviously one way of, of going about it is to ignore it completely. But then if, if that's always going to be on the back of somebody's minds, whether it's in an interview or whether it's somebody that's, you know, deciding to go and watch a TV show or a movie with, with someone and they're thinking, well, what about this? What if this is true? It doesn't allow that person to really have a say or a voice in how they're perceived. Um, and so I, I, I think this is a great thing, even though it was, you know, memed quite a bit and, and people were, were making fun of it quite a bit. Well, I'd agree with you, but Will Smith looks a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and not in the sort of sense that, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't analyze it. Is it because he's been pulled there and he really didn't want to talk about it and this affair has really hurt him or because it is some a media strategy? I, yeah, and I think it's... It ended up mostly them saying that August Alsina wasn't really... That, that they were pissed off that he he said that Will Smith had given them his blessing. That's what they mm-hmm. were most pissed off about, not yeah. the affair in general. It just felt like they sort of took a different path there to end well again though that that is a really great way of controlling that narrative because it allows them to not you know deny that something took place but it does allow them to clarify the hows maybe not the why but certainly the how and maybe that's all that we need as fans or an audience we don't need to know the whys because we don't need to know the personal life details like that but maybe the hows are important details to know because it's a matter of of truth or or false but you have to admit jada pinkett smith is a master of marketing and pr and and i think she's done quite a bit yes in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. uh especially because i mean i don't think it's unfair to say that she's she hasn't really been doing much. So she's in terms been, of movies and things. Yeah. Yeah. She's in the shadow of her husband. She's in the shadow of her children even now. And, and I think she needed to find something. Well, not that anymore. Gave, <laughs> yeah. She needed to find something that gave her life some purpose and something to do. And, and which I think is completely valid. Oh, uh, I, I think it's fascinating. One with her mother, which was fascinating about mm-hmm. her growing up and the issues that her mother went through. That was, yes. that was excellent. So, so we'll see what happens there. Here's my take. Uh, do you, have you ever listened to Karina Longworth and you must remember this? 
Uh, a little bit, yes, and I do. So I do love her. Hollywood stories from. The, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking in 20, 30 years, whoever is her successor, whoever does, it's there's going to be the Smiths, <laughs> and a wonderful oh. two hours about what really went on in their marriage. Don't you think? <laughs> I think I think absolutely yes, because we still talk. I mean, look at look at you. You brought up a perfect example of, uh, you know, somebody. And, and someone who has a huge fan base uh, talking about old Hollywood from 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the things that are happening now like this will, will certainly be that version of that. Now you have to fill us in on the free Britney movement. <laughs> what is going on? I, you know... <laughs> I don't really understand what's going on with it because I, I really push back on stand culture a lot, and and I, I think there is a too much of a willingness for the average person to insert themselves into a celebrity's life in a way that's extremely unhealthy, and I think this is one of them. Because you have these people that are going into incredibly long detail about the life and history of Britney Spears from when she was four years old uh, to now. And, you know, go ahead and write a biography or a, a biography of this person like they used to do. This, but what's happening now just feels extremely uncomfortable. It's it's really weird. I don't. So the I story behind it. is that that Britney Spears really had some issues and was really hurting in front of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Well, we saw several it several times. We saw it in front of her eyes, um, uh, and basically, her father became her conservator, took over all her money, all her decisions, everything. I think under a conservatorship, you don't even have the right to vote. So it's a pretty if I'm correct in that, it's a pretty harsh, but a lot of her fans have been seeing a bunch of messages in her Instagram posts where she basically dances and, and things like that. Yeah. That burning she, down her gym. Right. And that she's like sending messages in her eyelashes of nine one one and things like that. So to free her from her father's conservatorship, it's become a huge thing, this free Britney movement. And and that's what I mean. I mean, what you just said, you know, sending messages through eyelashes i mean my when i hear that kind of stuff all i hear is average people trying to do something bigger and greater than their extremely mundane lives Mm -hmm. and i will generally push back on that forever because i just think it is its own version of a psychosis and a neurosis and that doesn't take away that clearly Britney Spears has suffered some things through her life. I, I don't think anybody's really denying that. I think it happens for quite a few celebrities and especially child stars. Uh, the amount of child stars that have had, you know, parent managers that have abused and manipulated uh, them emotionally and financially, that's, that is goes back to the first child stars in Hollywood history. It, it's always happened. 
either way, it's tragic. Either her, I mean, her father and her family really have stepped up when things got really bad and she needs this, or you said one of these child star momager type of people mm-hmm. that have really wrecked. I mean, either way, it's a very, it's, it seems like a very tragic situation. I'm not sure what we're freeing her to with the free Britney movement. Do you think she'll make any more music? You know, I, I would, I would hope and I would wish that, that anybody that is a musician or a songwriter right now is able to use the last five months to, to do and create some great pieces of, of work. So I hope so. I definitely hope so. It'll be, a, it'll be huge. I mean, there are a few people that have had as many comebacks as Britney Spears. I know. And she's only 38 years old. And it could be, could be great. But I just got an incredible idea, Eric. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking that maybe this is a way for us to, you know, get some buzz and make some money during these difficult times. Why don't we start the free tenant movement? Oh no. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that to the fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> but they haven't done it yet, have they? Not to organize it in a way that we can. They they have not done like a release the tenant cut or anything like that, which is kind of Kind of surprising, right? Come on, get 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 the K-pop stands on that. Really, I mean, you have to get with it if you want something to happen. I mean, exactly. Anyway, Eric, always hoping for better times, and always really fun to talk to you. And um, we'll talk again, right? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. <laughs>